1: With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: As the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse winds down, the left has once again proven that it lives in an alternate reality when it comes to the facts. Despite the mountain of evidence supporting the 18-year-old's argument that he shot in self-defense, They've chosen instead to retreat into an alternative narrative that the judge is a biased and, of course, racist individual. We'll take a look at the left's unwillingness to accept reality in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. It has been a strong week for the Rittenhouse defense. That much is clear. They have video on their side. They have Kyle Rittenhouse, in what was a surprise to many, taking the stand in his own defense. And here we have a situation where people who have been watching and seeing these facts unfold feel like they're very strongly in favor of a self-defense explanation from Rittenhouse for why he shot and killed two and wounded a third uh, individuals who were attacking him during riots in Kenosha. But this may be a surprise to a lot of people out there because they might have heard, for example, Joe Biden, the President of the United States at the time a candidate, defaming Kyle Rittenhouse by saying that he was a white supremacist. Rittenhouse's mother was on TV last night on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News. Here's what she said. When the then candidate, now President of the United States and other elected officials mm-hmm. That don't know anything about your son, refer to him as a white supremacist. I have yet to see any evidence whatsoever that he is such a person.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And when prominent people say that, what did that? How did that impact you? And how did it impact him? When I saw that, I wasn't shocked. I was angry. President Biden don't know my son whatsoever, and. He's not a white supremacist. He's not a racist. And he did that for the votes. And I was so angry for a while at him. And what he did to my son, he defamed him. So why would Joe Biden, who was running to be president and now is president, why would he say something as reckless and unfounded as, young Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist. There was no evidence for that whatsoever. Oh, is it just because he went against the narrative that he was willing to defend a community in the face of BLM riots that we should note included a lot of rioters from all different backgrounds and ethnicities. And there were a lot of folks who were taking part in the destruction of Kenosha, Wisconsin from outside of even Wisconsin as a state. So what, what makes anyone think that this is an issue of white supremacy? Well, you see, the left is losing on the facts. So they have to change the conversation to an area where they feel more comfortable. And what happens when the left loses on the facts? They say, oh, everything is racist. That's what it turns into. Uh, oh, and now also the judge is the problem, you see. The judge in this case is somebody who we shouldn't trust because he has been terse at various times with the prosecution. Here is uh, CNN's own Don Lemon explaining that, you know, the judge means that this trial should be a mistrial.
3: He's ridiculous. His antics are absolutely ridiculous. And today, Chris, saying that someone who writes for a biased publication who, that has been favorable to Kyle Rittenhouse and that has spoken out against Black Lives Matter, that that should not be brought in so that the jurors can't make up their own minds about what is biased and what is not and what is relevant and what is not, I think is, I think for me, I don't think it works that way legally. That's cause for a mistrial.
2: That's cause for a mistrial apparently. Yeah, not so much. But anyway, this is what happens. We have Don Lemon weighing in on a trial where, what are they gonna tell the audience? that the video evidence very clearly shows that Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself. Here's uh, another legal analyst on MSNBC, Ellie Mistal, telling everybody that this is what I was referring to before, actually, or or this this notion. The judge is biased and racist and all that stuff. Here you go. You see what I'm saying? When you put the one and one together, you end up with two. When you put one plus one plus one plus one
4: plus one together, you end up with five, and that's what that's, that's, what, that's what Schrader is. He, is. he has made a series of decisions. Each one perhaps may be individually defensible, but in totality lead to the impression of a biased racist judge with his Trump rally cell phone um, uh, that is trying to get Rittenhouse uh, a walk.
2: A biased and racist judge. W- what is the basis for saying that the judge is biased and racist? because the left isn't getting the outcome they want. They want Kyle Rittenhouse to spend the rest of his life in prison, by the way. He has been overcharged on top of everything else, and if he were found guilty on the top count of first-degree intentional homicide, he would spend a mandatory life sentence in prison. They think that that would be justice, obviously, and they're concerned that they won't get it. Even though the facts of the case do not support it, they want it anyway. You see, what this really comes down to is the left doesn't like Kyle Rittenhouse. They don't like this young white guy who took an AR-15 and went into a community and said, I'm going to stand with people against riots, riots that fell under the banner of BLM. They don't like him. And so it doesn't matter what the facts of the case are. It doesn't matter what the evidence is as it comes forward. They want an outcome. And if they don't get it, they have a problem. They have a problem that they're going to now address by telling everybody that it's about racism. That's what they're going to say. It's starting to feel like this uh, Democrat apparatus doesn't really live in reality. I mean, you have the Biden administration, for example, still trying to tell everybody. So on the one hand, the, the, all the evidence this week in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial doesn't matter. They still want him to be guilty. They just they can't process the fact that this guy clearly was defending himself against people attacking him. doesn't matter why he was there. doesn't matter that they don't like guns. He was defending himself. They don't care. And we're supposed to ignore that. And then also now you have the Biden White House trying to tell everybody that inflation is still gonna be transitory. I mean, are we living on the same planet? You have to ask, you wonder these days, watch.
0: We take inflation very seriously.
2: Economists call all these things
0: transitory effects.
5: These one-time increases in prices are likely t- to have
2: only transitory effects on inflation.
0: There will be transitory impacts uh, in the, uh, as it relates to inflation. I believe it's transitory. A temporary transitory impact.
5: In the end, it will be transitory.
0: These inflation uh, rises will be transitory, that they will come back down next year. Inflation is going to come down next year. Inflation will come down next year. Talking inflation... The overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. People fully expect this inflation to be uh, uh, temporary. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. No serious economists. No
2: serious economists. Okay, Joe, the facts don't really matter. You're seeing this, right? Whether it's the economy, the Rittenhouse trial, criminal justice issues in major cities across the country, they're still telling you the Build Back Better agenda will actually help solve inflation by spending a lot more money, delusional, delusional Democrats all over the place. We'll have more on the Rittenhouse trial with the First TV's Rob Smith when we come back, but first I want to talk to you about protecting your most important asset. If you don't own a home, you have nothing to fear from home title theft. But if you own a home like me, and you don't guard it with home title lock, you're inviting home title theft, one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Here's how it works. Cyber thieves around the world know our home values are sky high and that makes us a target. The crime is scary simple. A cyber thief simply forges your name on a property sale form and refiles it. Now he's on the deed to your home and you have no idea you're a victim. Then he takes out loans on your home and vanishes, leaving you to prove to the police you didn't commit bank fraud. Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect tampering, they help shut it down. Look, if you have equity in your home, guard it with your life. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter radio for 30 free days of protection. That's code radio at hometitlelock.com. Again, code radio at hometitlelock.com.
3: We'll be right back with Rob Smith coming up. This week, the
2: media and the Democrats quickly realized they were wrong about Kyle Rittenhouse. Turns out, he wasn't the white supremacist looking to kill Kenosha rioters, and that alone is destroying their narrative. So it's time to start pointing the fingers elsewhere. Why not race bait? This is a tweet from the Blue Check Rhino, Joe Walsh. For the facts and the law, he probably acted in self-defense, and the facts and the law are, are what should matter. But this should matter too. Ahmad Arbery was killed that day in Georgia because he was black. Kyle Rittenhouse survived that night in Wisconsin because he was white. Uh, what does one, would these trials have to do with the other exactly? The left is obviously having a tough time this week, so they're changing the subject. Joining me now is Rob Smith, host of the podcast, Rob Smith is uh, Problematic. Rob, good to see you. Good to see you, bud. So, Rob, what am am I missing here? It seems that all of a sudden the facts of the case aren't what the left want them to be in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Thankfully, there's video, too, so it's really hard for them to lie about it. So now we're supposed to think of alternative narratives and other events.
4: Yeah, what I'm really trying to figure out with this whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing is how did one young white man killing two other white men all of a sudden become um, some yet another referendum on race in America? This is what I'm really having a hard time figure figuring out. Um, and, and you know, if you look at the conversation that's being gone that that is happening, oh, if Kyle Rittenhouse was black, uh, Amad Aubrey, this, Ahmaud Arbery, they're kind of like scrambling to bring other things in from different narratives and. To what is going on in this trial. And another thing that's going on today, too, um, you know, Don Lemon's trending all over Twitter because he was talking about, you know, vigilantism is not what we do in America. And this is about white men trying to protect their property and what they think they own. And the thing about this is, is that if you're not a brain dead liberal moron and you were looking to other sources from the mainstream media, which literally were reporting in front of a burning building and telling you that these things are peaceful protests, you would see people of all colors all over social media that were armed, that were carrying, that were protecting their homes, their businesses, their families. I saw with my own two eyes, plenty of black men with guns that were walking around protecting their property in the midst of all of these BLM riots. But at the same time, like I said, the the left and the mainstream media wants to ignore these things that are not convenient to their narrative because in their minds, African Americans must always be perpetual victims. Mind you, to them, the Second Amendment is only for white men, it's not for us. Um, so there's just this whole victimhood narrative, it really, but when we go into moments like this as a country, it drives me completely insane because there is Always just this lack of agency that is given uh, to black people from these leftist mainstream media narratives. It's like we're never in control of our own life. The Second Amendment is not for us. We are not gun carriers. Well, like we are not trying to protect any of our property
2: from the BLM hordes. It drives me absolutely up the wall. Here is uh, Zerlina Maxwell over at uh, NBC comparing two cases here, Kyle Rittenhouse and Ahmad Arbery. I wanted you to react to it, Rob.
5: If you think about it, the cases of Kyle Rittenhouse and the men who killed Ahmed Arbery aren't really that different. Both of these cases involve men who inserted themselves into situations that didn't have to do anything, that they didn't have anything to do with, and they killed people in the process. Too often, it seems like men feel the need to perform their masculinity by doing and saying violent things. For some men, violence seems like A go-to.
2: I mean, so that's the streaming service of NBC, Peacock News. What? Um, What? What is? I don't even know really what is she saying. Help me. Help me out with this.
4: I don't know. Look, great hair, cute glasses, completely brain dead. Lots of you know liberal word soup, mumbo jumbo. I at this point, Buck. You know when we watch these people do the thing. It's almost as if we're living in two different worlds right now. There is the world of mainstream media narrative, and then there's the world of the actual truth. And the actual truth is what we all should be trying to get to, which we should all be trying to at least wait for facts to come out before we reach to a conclusion, regardless of the color of our skin. And this is the thing that that really does it drives me nuts when we go into these media moments because it's almost as if these lines are drawn. If you are somebody that is on the left, you are allowed to think of this Kyle Rittenhouse case in one way. And if you are somebody that is on the right, you are only allowed to think of it in this other way. There's lots of shades of gray here. And what I hate is the rush to define this narrative by honestly, by the left mainly, but also by the right. I just wish that we could all just speak logically about what is going on here and just operate in facts. Like, I don't wanna hear from anybody on the right about what a good kid Kyle Rittenhouse is. Who knows what a good kid is? Like, who, who knows? I don't wanna hear from the left about the fact that he's a white supremacist or, you know, he's some sort of, um, I don't know, racist race warrior that, that went to Kenosha to kill people just because he's white. Why don't we let the facts of the case speak for themselves?
2: What's fascinating, Rob, is that as we've seen the facts of the case, it's increasingly clear that there was nothing racist in anything Kyle Rittenhouse did or any of his intentions uh, from this incident in question. And in fact, if there is such a thing as self-defense, then this would seem to be it. No matter how much someone doesn't like another person, that doesn't mean that person has no right to self-defense. It's not something that ever goes away. But over at CNN, they just, they're on the, well, I I hate him, so he must be a murderer side of things. Watch. Bakari Sellers, guys.
4: And people are treating Cal Rittenhouse as some uh, youthful individual who made a youthful mistake. Um, Instead, um, he committed a murder or two murders and attempted to murder someone else. And whether or not they find him guilty of those crimes or not is up to the jury. I don't think they will. But there are definitely two Americas
2: and two criminal justice systems in this country.
4: And that's where my resentment comes
2: from. I mean, so, I, I, so what, is, what does that even mean? So is Kyle Rittenhouse supposed to go to prison because Bakari Sellers doesn't like the justice system? Kyle Rittenhouse? No, you mean,
4: the, go ahead. To, to them, but Kyle Rittenhouse is supposed to go to prison because he's white. Um, so look, I did an episode of my podcast, the newest one that, that is out today. It's called um, Kyle Rittenhouse and the Politics of Revenge. And so I'm just gonna break down a little bit of this for you. There are a lot of people on the left that are rightfully angry at the sort of disproportionate impact this criminal justice system has had on young black men over the years. We all know that that is a fact. This is now a bipartisan thing you had um, the first step back for criminal justice reform passed under the Trump administration. Republicans and Democrats have both come together about this. So now, what they're trying to say is that Kyle Rittenhouse or any other white man that you know, we'll be talking about in the next couple of years that's in a similar situation, now has to become the sacrificial lamb purely because he is white and in this um, position. He's the sacrificial lamb, and that is supposed to make up- for the tens of thousands of black men that were unfairly treated by the criminal justice system. I call it the the politics of revenge. I think it's immoral, I think it's wrong, but this is something that you're seeing a lot from the left right now.
2: Rob, appreciate your perspective, man. Good to see you. All right, good to see you, Buck. A potential bombshell as a federal judge orders the FBI to stop collecting data in its investigation to Project Veritas. We'll have more on that and the politicization of law enforcement coming up. I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto market's hot right now. It seems like everybody wants to get in on the action, but there are a lot of currencies to choose from. Bitcoin, Ethereum, where do you get started? That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that'll answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their top priority they offer, an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains, and even a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money. Look, the, the crypto market's heating up. This is an exciting time to get into it. You need to check it out today at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com, and we'll be right back with more Hold the Line.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts.
3: By making this statement, I am putting myself at great risk because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I woke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. That was Project Veritas' founder, James
2: O'Keefe, just hours after a pre-dawn raid on the homes of several Project Veritas journalists, supposedly as part of a federal probe looking into the missing diary of the president's daughter, Ashley Biden. O'Keefe was then asked by the Department of Justice to remain silent about the investigation.
3: Watch. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately try to silence me that's why the cover letter to the grand jury subpoena we received contains this language quote the government hereby requests that you voluntarily refrain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party while you are under no obligation to comply with our request we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation and because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation." Despite the supposed need for complete secrecy,
2: somehow the New York Times knew about the raids before anyone else and even called Project Veritas journalists for comment just hours after they took place. Oh wow, what a shock. How would the New York Times know about the raids if the FBI was uh, trying to keep it all a secret? well, we have a pretty good idea. This week, a federal judge has ordered the DOJ to halt data extraction from James O'Keefe's phones after the New York Times published internal documents from Project Veritas some suspect were obtained during the FBI investigation. This is a potentially explosive scandal, and just the latest black mark on the Department of Justice It's already lost the trust of so many Americans as we know. I'll take a closer look at the politicized DOJ and FBI in this edition of The Buck Brief. So why is it that the DOJ keeps on doing things that you would expect it to do if it were acting at the behest of left-wing activists? We know that the left hates James O'Keefe and Project Veritas, for example, and so all the very strange behaviors around this FBI raid and the New York Times having access to this information makes it all feel like a coordinated hit, not just from the journo perspective, but from inside the very mechanism of the Federal Justice Department itself. What exactly is going on here? Plus, as we all know, recently we had the Attorney General Merrick Garland put out a letter that referred to a need to bring law enforcement together to try to deal with the rising threat of parents who are upset about the teaching of critical race theory in schools. What the heck was that all about? Why would Attorney General Merrick Garland seemingly threaten people for expressing their First Amendment rights and pretend as though they are some kind of insurrectionist terrorist mom rebellion. Well, here's another Fox News headline. The NSBA coordinated with the White House and the DOJ before that notorious domestic terrorist letters email. Essentially, this this, uh, activist group, Uh, of teachers unions came together and decided that they were going to push the White House and the DOJ to put out this letter because, you see, the teachers unions and the whole education apparatus is a province of the left. They don't want anyone challenging that. Democrat politicians rely on the donations from teachers unions and the political muscle, the actual vote machinery uh, of these unions to get them elected. So the moment you start to mess with that, the Democrats react with swiftness and ferocity. But here's this quote from that Fox News piece about the coordination between the National School Board Association. Newly released internal documents uh, show the NSBA coordinated with the White House and the Department of Justice before sending President Biden the notorious letter that compared concerned parents to domestic terrorists. Emails provided to Fox News show that NSBA had coordinated with the White House for weeks beforehand. So the White House was essentially using the DOJ as the thug enforcement arm of the teachers uh, or the National School Board Association. Same idea. This is the, it's not really a teacher's union. It's an association of the various school boards out there. Uh, It's an activist group. And sure enough, they were using the sway they have with the Democrat administration to have the DOJ Send a little uh, shot across the bow, if you will, of parents who were showing up at school boards to talk about what their children were being taught in school. Um, Let's also remember that last month, Merrick Garland actually said the NSBA letter was relevant
3: in the DOJ probe. Um, Is there any connection, Mr. Attorney General, with the school board letter and then five days later, your memo to um, uh, regarding school board issues?
1: Obviously, the letter, which uh, was public and asked for assistance from the Justice Department, was brought to our attention, and it's a relevant factor.
2: A relevant factor, huh? You're noticing here a a pattern, right? James O'Keefe and Project Veritas are an opponent of the left. The FBI goes after them. Concerned parents showing up at school board meetings, pointing out what a bunch of slovenly bureaucratic messes Uh, run these various school boards and uh, the teachers' unions and just all the dissatisfaction with the public education establishment during COVID and with CRT, all of it, they're an enemy of the left too. They get a little shot across the bow from the DOJ. Oh, and then, of course, there's the dossier and the recent information about that. Another time where the DOJ was weaponized for the purpose of politics, Russian analyst who was a source for the Steele dossier was arrested and charged with lying To the FBI. Uh, My friends, for years, CNN, The New York Times, these news outlets lied about Russia collusion. Just, Just were running with total bull crap. And members of Congress too, and the DOJ, and the FBI. They were all in on it, trying to destroy the Trump administration. Now we know, beyond any reasonable doubt, they were lying. It was all false. It was all made up. It was a smear and Congressman Adam Schiff, who was perhaps the most disgraceful and notorious and disgusting liar in Congress, on this issue at least, last, uh, earlier this week said that, oh, they had no way of knowing that it was all based on lies. Sure, no
3: big deal.
0: Do you have any reflections on your role in promoting this to the American people?
3: Well, first of all, whoever lied to the FBI or lied to Christopher Steele should be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are. Uh, if people lied to the FBI, they should go to jail.
1: Um, But at the beginning of the Russian investigation, I said that any allegations should
2: be investigated. We couldn't have known, for example, people were lying to Christopher Steele. So it was proper to investigate them. Uh, Okay. Yeah, they were all acting in good faith. And the DOJ wasn't weaponized or anything like that. Uh, No, that's actually total crap. Here's just a quick reminder. Flashback to June of 2020. Attorney General Barr said the FBI knew the dossier was absurd by March of 2017, but they kept going anyway. I wonder why.
3: again i don't want to get into the details because those are the kinds of things we're
5: looking at but but uh uh, that the, the that whole vignette is laid out to some extent in the ig's report that in january 2017
2: and in march 2017 they talked to the primary subsource who was
5: the sole conduit for this information that made up the dossier and as i've said the dossier pretty much collapsed at that point, and yet it would continued to use it as a basis for uh, pursuing
2: this counterintelligence investigation. It was all a lie, friends. The DOJ was weaponized against Trump, and that was what it was all about. A war of words has erupted between New York City's Mayor-elect and Black Lives Matter activists who have threatened bloodshed if the city cracks down on uh, crime. We got more on that with conservative commentator and former NYPD officer John Cardillo. Right now, let's talk about a potential investment opportunity. Have you Ever thought about investing in real estate? Listen to me right now. Visit doneforyoubuck.com. You can learn more about my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. Look, these guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward. Their system works. I know because I'm using it successfully. All you have to do right now is go to doneforyoubuck.com. And at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did a while back with my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. You can hear about my experience with their company in my own words. Everything, picking the house, getting the, the broker set up, the loan, getting a tenant in place, all of it. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots. There will be fire and there will be bloodshed.
2: Stern warning for blood on the streets from a Black Lives Matter activist made to New York City's SUNY Mayor Eric Adams. But the former police captain who will take over the position of mayor on January 1st is refusing to back down in the face of these threats saying riots and bloodshed will not happen in his city. Listen.
1: New Yorkers should not allow um, rhetoric like that. Uh, This city is not going to be a city of riots. It's not going to be a city of burning. This is going to be a city where we're going to be safe. We're going to have effective policing that's not heavy-handed.
2: Here now with Reaction, former NYPD officer and conservative commentator John Cardillo. John, good to see you. First off, I mean, the BLM leader is pretty outrageous. Straight up saying we're going to take to the streets and burn stuff down if you try more effective policing?
5: Yeah, I think it was, I have to tell you, I never thought I'd come on your show and give a Democrat credit, Buck. But uh, Adams actually made some pretty good calls in that meeting. What really set the BLM activists off was Eric Adams' proposal, pretty much guarantee, to bring back the anti-crime units, the street crime units. These in the NYPD are plainclothes units, whose sole mission is really to interdict illegal firearms and Secondary mission, I would say the one in the 1A are robberies in progress, which typically are the wellspring of all other crimes. You close homicides, you close burglaries, rapes. And it was a very effective policing strategy. Bill, Bill de Blasio did away with it. He got rid of the plainclothes units, and crime just skyrocketed. It's continuing to skyrocket. I think Adams understands that you can't have commerce without, uh, without safe streets, without a criminal justice uh, proactivity, he's doing what he needs to do to reverse the de Blasio policies. He's not a stupid guy. Adams is a sharp guy. And the BLM activists are beside themselves because for eight years, they got whatever they wanted from the de Blasio administration.
2: So do you think Eric Adams is, so to speak, the real deal here in terms of at least trying to clean up the city and and get rid of the surge in crime that's been gone? I mean, uh, it seems like, John, every day, you know, in the newspaper, there's another just horrible, violent crime story. There was just a, a rape right in one of the most well-traveled areas of Central Park, the most famous park in New York City, one of the most famous in the world. It's 7.30 on a weekday morning. Uh, there have been assaults all over the city in the last few days of a really uh, unsettling variety of things. I mean, just people being attacked and bludgeoned. And Is Eric Adams going to deal with this? Is he the real deal?
5: You know, I dealt with him a little bit. So after he left the NYPD, he was a New York state senator and then Brooklyn borough president. I dealt with him when he was in the legislature. And I have to tell you, the guy was a lot more pragmatic than I thought he would be. So do I think he's going to be somebody that you and I would say is a great mayor? No. But do I think he's somebody who's going to probably, most likely, go back to the Giuliani style of policing, the one that Bloomberg kept in place? I do. He may call it something else. He may hire... Uh, a woke police commissioner, but you know this, Buck, you were detailed in the NYPD for a while. New York is very unique. The mayor has the ultimate say over the NYPD, even though there's a commissioner, commissioner reports to and works at the leisure of the mayor. So the mayor really hands down the policies of the NYPD, Adams being a former retired NYPD captain, he understands how it all works. So I do think from a criminal justice perspective, he'll be pretty good. Now.
2: What would I mean, if we made John Cardillo, the NYPD commissioner um, and you work the NYPD, John, I know, you know, people up at, the, at a high level there. Yeah. What what would be the give, give me the game plan? I mean, you mentioned Giuliani crime thing. OK, but what is that actually? It's plainclothes detectives. It's what what changes to fix a city like New York if you're the commissioner, because obviously then other cities could take a similar playbook and use it. Cause you know, Houston is up like over a hundred percent in homicides yeah. over the last 18 months. A lot of cities across the country. There are thousand shootings in Portland over the last year. I yeah. couldn't even believe that number. So what do you yeah. do in New York yeah. to clean it up?
5: Yeah, 800% increase in homicides in Portland. First of all, you go back to the broken window strategy Buck, but simultaneously that's, that's addressing the small quality of life conditions. Those minor crimes, the Democrats call them, that the new Manhattan DA is refusing to prosecute. Luckily, the outer boroughs aren't suffering that fate yet. You bring back the plainclothes units, you bring back proactive policing, you stop with this social worker nonsense. But at the same time, very important, the city has to appeal a horrible decision about stop, question, and frisk when it was deemed unconstitutional. It's not. Supreme Court ruled on it in 1964, Terry v. Ohio. So you've got to appeal that decision. It'll automatically be reversed. Stop and frisk, stop, question, and frisk can be redeployed in New York because it's a tremendous tool in law enforcement's toolbox. So you bring back the broken window style of policing. You you bring back stop and frisk. You bring back your plainclothes units, but most importantly, proactive, directed policing. Find out where the crime is. Saturate the area. And that's specifically with
2: the plainclothes unit, the anti-crime unit that is at issue here, the hundreds and hundreds of officers that de Blasio sidelined as some kind of a a payoff of sorts, political payoff to the BLM (laughs) movement and the anti-cop activists. Why are those units so important? What do they do?
5: Really, they have one mission. They don't answer radio calls. They don't go to the scene of a car accident or a past burglary. They exist to roam around And through their training and experience day after day, look for the illegal guns, look for the robberies, look for the suspects uh, of whom they have descriptions. And all they do is focus on those conditions and they're highly effective because they're not taken out of rotation with a radio call to uh, an alarm going off that's a false alarm or like I said, a past burglary or a break in of a vehicle. They're focused, they're mission focused on looking for crimes in progress or trying to prevent crimes by by seeking out people that shouldn't be where they are. I mean, and
2: John, just so everyone could hear it from you, I'm sure there's some ideas that come to mind, but why would, given that they're looking at more serious crimes, right? It's one thing if people wanna complain that cops are writing too many tickets or something. This unit is trying to stop people from getting shot and old ladies from being bludgeoned on their way, you know, to the bus stop every day. Why would activists oppose that kind of a unit?
5: Because they're effective. And let's face it, BLM exists for one reason. BLM, in my opinion, wants to decriminalize all crime. That's what they exist to do. They're anarchists. They want to destabilize the United States of America alongside Antifa. This is not about black lives mattering, et cetera. Because quite frankly, the areas that are most affected by the violent crime uprising, the, the uptick in violent crimes, are the black areas. The victims are black Americans here. They're not white Americans in affluent neighborhoods.
2: John, I'm hoping that Eric Adams is the real deal and we can clean up this, uh, clean up New York City and that other cities will see it so. as what they could do as well, because we've got a crime problem in this country. John, great to see you, man. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Joe Rogan takes another shot at leftist lunacy, this time slamming Colin Kaepernick for his absurd comparison of the NFL to slavery. We'll bring that to you coming up in Quick Hits. But I want to tell you about My Digital Money. Crypto is heating up, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of digital tokens out there. How do you get started? That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins. And when you call them and you need some customer service, they'll actually answer the phone and help you out. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back and speak to you honestly. That's what you'll uh, get with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. That's
3: MyDigitalMoney.com and we'll be right back with Quick Hits.
2: Apparently in Canada, some think that vaccinated people are more heroic than fallen soldiers and one Old Dominion University professor is publicly defending pedophilia. Oh my God. Time for Quick Hits. First off, we've got Old Dominion University has a professor here who's trying to normalize a term that I have just learned uh, today with this news story, minor attracted persons, he's saying. It's less stigmatizing than words like pedophile. Here is this professor making the case.
0: I use the term minor attracted person or MAP uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, First of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. They've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, A lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender Uh, and that isn't true and it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. The use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children.
2: Uh, It's not okay at all, but here we have the left once again trying to make things that are clearly immoral and wrong and dangerous to society seem less so through changes in language. That's pretty grotesque stuff. All right, a war memorial in British Columbia was defaced with this. I mean, you got to remember, the war memorial for people that actually fought wars, died in wars... And up in Canada, there were people writing graffiti that says the following, the real heroes are the vaccinated. Yeah, oh, sure. If you get vaccinated, you're a big hero. Sure you are. Hmm. That's, uh... I mean, it's just so stupid these days. I don't know what, what's wrong with all the little Fauciites running around thinking that they've got all this stuff figured out. Um... We also know that professional athletes are getting very involved in discussions around a whole range of issues, certainly on uh, COVID and COVID policy recently, uh, because you have people like Kyrie Irving in the NBA who don't want to get the shot. Aaron Rodgers recently came under a lot of criticism because he is, uh, he got COVID and he had said that he was immunized and people took that as dishonest because he should have said he was in response to, are you vaccinated? Anyway, that's one area where you have professional athletes weighing in a fair amount. But another one, uh, another area that's really interesting is when you look at social justice issues. Uh, You have professional athletes who will speak out, LeBron James, many others on, say, BLM and things like that. But on issues of China using slave labor, uh, the camps they're putting Uyghurs in, the forced sterilization, all the really bad things going on in China, which is a very large market for NBA television, as well as the sale of NBA products. There are some players who are finally speaking out against this. Enes Kanter, who plays for the Boston Celtics, says that the NBA being silent on this issue is gross, and that it really just comes from money and their need and their desire for it. There is so many
4: athletes, so many actors, so many singers, and so many people who has a platform are speaking out many of the issues out there in the world, but when it comes to China, when it comes to you know China's Communist Party, they're scared because they care too much about money, they care too much about business, and they care they care too much about endorsement deals. You know, to me, uh, the human rights and you know saving people's lives it comes comes first.
2: They care too much about money. He's right. Uh, the NBA pretends to care a whole lot more about justice than it really does, right? Now, it's a business, and that's fine. If they just want to conduct themselves like a corporation where all that really matters to them uh, is making money, or at least, you know, within reason, that's fine. But on the one hand, you'll have players who will speak out, and we're told that we have to take them seriously in society because they're speaking out about police violence against minorities, you know, unarmed uh, black men in America, something like that, and that this is an issue that needs immediate attention, and the NBA will They'll kneel or they'll put up their hoodies in solidarity with Trayvon Martin, whatever it is. But then on the issue of China and its treatment of minorities, Uyghurs, within its own borders and the horrific conditions into which they are often uh, forced to work and to live and the true oppression, NBA players who are substantially uh, involved in terms of the market in China, right? They're, China's a huge place for the sale of NBA products and, and TV rights there. NBA players are a lot quieter about that. The NBA as a league doesn't want them speaking out about it. In fact, if you do, as has happened in the past, you might get yourself into trouble with the league front office, so to speak. And then, of course, there's Colin Kaepernick. Uh, podcast host Joe Rogan came out uh, swinging because Kaepernick is a, a, just a total fraud and an imbecile and recently in a Netflix special, because Netflix, as we know, is quite woke, made an explicit, a direct comparison, not not a vague comparison, a direct comparison between the NFL combine and a slave auction. That is what Colin Kaepernick did in his Netflix special. Here is Joe Rogan referring to that situation.
4: And imagine comparing that to slavery simply because they measure people's physical performance. The idea that this is comparable to slavery, but whoever f***ing wrote that down and then he, the fact that he read it and said it and then they had that video <clears throat> where they're comparing the NFL owners to the Slave Masters and they're shaking hands with each other, oh. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm,
2: he's correct. It's absurd. It's crazy. But that's what it is. No surprise, really, friends, that in this day and age you can get away, if you're woke, with saying whatever you want to say about this stuff. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The no-spin news with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.